Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at an interesting man. He's mentioned here uh, and one other place in the book of Philippians. Um, and that is the only place that we have uh, mentioned this man uh, by the name of Epaphroditus. And I don't know why his uh, folks named him that, uh, why they didn't name him Greg or Archie, something I could say without, uh, without having to uh, stop and kind of think it through as, uh, as uh, I pronounce it. Uh, and as we go along today, uh, you may hear me say it two or three other ways. Um, and you can pick whichever one of them you like. Uh, that will be his name for today. Before it's over with, I may end up just calling him Greg. Uh, you know, that, I might uh, have to shorten his name uh, a little bit, give him a nickname uh, from uh, from his biblical name. Uh, but he's an interesting man. Uh, again, we don't know much about him, uh, but what we can uh, divide, figure out, uh, and understand about uh, this man uh, was he was uh, a part of uh, the Philippian church. And he was obviously a, a trusted man uh, because uh, the Philippians had heard about uh, Paul's situation uh, being in prison and had taken up uh, what appears to be uh, what we would call a large love offering. Uh, and Epaphroditus was uh, the one they chose to uh, send that offering uh, with, to have deliver it uh, to Paul. But not only to deliver uh, that offering, uh, but then to stay and to, uh, to help Paul and, uh, and to uh, be an assistant to him. Uh, they had heard that again Paul was in prison and having a, uh, a very uh, hard time uh, in prison, having a hard time uh, with the situation. And uh, they loved Paul. Uh, Paul had done uh, a lot for their church. He meant a lot uh, to them. And so uh, they decided uh, to help him uh, both financially uh, and uh, to send them, uh, send him a helper, uh, someone uh, who could be an assistant uh, to Paul. That if Paul needed something, that, that he could uh, go get. That he could kind of be a, uh, I, I would say, somewhat of a uh, a witness. Uh, that if Paul was being mistreated, uh, he could uh, he could see and stand up for Paul. Uh, but they sent him uh, to be a, a helper uh, for Paul, both to take care of his uh, his physical needs, uh, his financial needs, but uh, also just to be simply uh, an encouragement to Paul uh, to come alongside of him. And uh, you know, be someone uh, who you know who, who would could talk to someone uh, who was uh, on his side. Uh, it, it may be a way to put it. Somebody who uh, you know kind of uh, you know had sympathy uh, for Paul instead of uh, just the Roman uh, soldiers. Now, uh, and and the reason that's important is we need to understand uh, a little bit of this background before we dig in uh, to this text, uh, is you have to understand uh, how uh, courageous uh, a man would have to be 
maybe a, a lot courageous and a little bit crazy, uh, or a lot crazy and a little bit courageous, I don't know which way, uh, to take uh, that assignment. Uh, you have a man who is in prison, uh, who is in all likelihood, uh, very, very real possibility uh, that he's going to be executed uh, for, uh, for what they deem to be uh, his crimes. And you're going to go and you're going to attach yourself uh, to this man. Uh, you're going to go and, and this man who the Roman government has said, we perceive to be a threat. We perceive to be a, uh, you know, a, uh, a traitor, treasonous, opposed uh, to Caesar. You're going to go and say, I'm his friend. Uh, you have to be a little bit courageous and a little, you know, and a little bit crazy to take uh, that job, to take uh, that assignment uh, and go uh, and be uh, Paul's friends. It only stands to reason uh, that if they do decide to carry out uh, and execute Paul, uh, that they're going to say, well, who was his friends? Let's get them too. Uh, and so this was a, a, a very... Uh, dangerous uh, assignment uh, that Epaphroditus takes. He is again, uh, you know, Paul is facing uh, the death sentence. And, and you're going to go and say, uh, I am uh, his friend. Uh, so he, he's leaving himself, uh, you know, he could very well be charged with, uh, you know, in our language, in our criminal system today, uh, I guess it would be called aiding and abetting. Uh, you know, by being uh, Paul's friend, by, by helping him. Uh, and so, uh, again, he's risking his life. Uh, but while he is there, and we'll see this in just a moment, I'm kind of, uh, I'm summarizing the text. I want to go back and draw out a few things uh, about this man. Epaphroditus uh, gets really sick. Uh, in fact, Paul writes and says that he almost died. He was so sick. Doesn't tell us what was wrong. Uh, doesn't tell us, uh, you know, I, I don't know what kind of disease he had. Uh, but whatever it was, Paul says uh, here in the end of chapter 2 that, uh, that he almost died. Now, uh, that news gets back uh, to the people at Philippi. And so now they're worried uh, about Paul and Epaphroditus. They're, they're concerned uh, about both uh, of their laborers, both of their, uh, of their friends. And now, this, uh, stick with me, uh, you know how the gossip chain works. Now news gets back to Epaphroditus that the people in Philippi know uh, about him being sick and they're worried about him. And now he's upset because they're upset because he's sick. Everybody with me? Yeah. He's upset because they're upset that he's sick. You with me? Okay. Uh, and so uh, that tells you a little bit about the character uh, of Epaphroditus right off. Uh, that he is more concerned about the Philippian church being worried about him uh, than it appears he is uh, about uh, his own uh, health and well-being. He's willing, uh, just in what I've told you by way of introduction this morning, uh, tells us a great deal about the character uh, of Epaphroditus, that he was willing uh, to put himself on the line uh, for Paul. 
uh, he was willing to, to risk his life, uh, then when he gets sick, uh, he's more concerned uh, that people are worried about him uh, than, uh, than he is uh, about his own health. Well, God spares him uh, and heals him, uh, and eventually Paul uh, decides for uh, whatever reason, uh, it would be best uh, to send uh, Epaphroditus back to Philippi. Uh, maybe he needs some recuperation. Uh, maybe Paul wants the Philippians to see that uh, that he is well now, that he's okay. Uh, you know, maybe he wants you know Epaphroditus' mama to know everything's all right, uh, but he. Just Decides uh, to send uh, him back. And so the, the text that we're going to look at this morning really serves two purposes. Uh, it, it serves uh, to tell the Philippian church why he's sending Epaphroditus back. Uh, he wants them to know that Epaphroditus is not a quitter. That Epaphroditus hadn't done anything wrong. Uh, that in fact... Epaphroditus is a great servant and a great man, and you should welcome him with the highest of honor. And he's going to tell them in this passage why that is. And that's what I really want us to focus on. Why is it that Paul is so, uh, so pleased, so satisfied uh, with Epaphroditus? Why does he speak so highly of him? What characteristics do we see uh, in this letter uh, as Paul writes back? What is it that we see uh, about this man uh, that we can model ourselves? Uh, I, I don't know about you, but uh, I would like, uh, you know, I can't, you know, I, I can't think of uh, a much uh, higher honor uh, in my in, in life. Uh, you know, people they can do all kinds. You know, they can build statues for you. They can name roads after you, bridges after you. You know, buildings after you. They can do all kinds of things like that. But personally, I can't think of anything much higher uh, than for Paul to say, "Hey, he's a good man." Now, can, can you know, think about that for a minute? Can you think of anything uh, that would be a much greater honor than for the Apostle Paul to say, Hey, I'm sending uh, Tommy over to your town and I want you to welcome him with great honor because he's a good man. Dad probably pretty well do it, wouldn't he? Yeah, it'd be hard to top that in the rest of a person's life to have the, uh, the praise of a man like Paul. And so what is it about this man that Paul is so uh, pleased with? I want to I wanna try to model my life uh, after whatever it is that would cause Paul to say, Hey, Epaphroditus is a good man. I want to find those things and I want to have those uh, in my life. Notice uh, he's going to, uh, I've only got four points, but I'm cheating this morning, okay? Uh, I want you to notice uh, in the first verse as we look at it, uh, how Paul describes uh, Epaphroditus here. He says, I thought it necessary. Doesn't tell us why. But he says, I believe it was, I believe it was necessary uh, for me to send Epaphroditus my brother. Now I want to point out something right there. Uh, remember what he called Timothy? He called Timothy his son. He called Epaphroditus his brother. And so uh, that says something to me right there about Paul and his family. 
uh, and what he thought of other believers. He said, I, I believe it's necessary for me to send my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, your messenger, and your minister to my need. Paul names five things in that verse uh, about Epaphroditus that, I, uh, that, that is really the focus. Uh, we're going to look at a couple more, but really those five things are uh, really the, the focus uh, of, uh, of what Paul says here uh, about uh, Epaphroditus. He says he is, again, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, your messenger, and your minister to my need. So he names three things to him and two things to the Philippians. Notice first of all that statement. He says, he is my brother. He is my brother. Well, let's think about that for a moment. You don't have to be uh, a biology major to figure this one out. For two people to be brothers, what do they have to have? Same parents. If they have the same father to be brothers. They have to have the same parents to be brothers. And so when Paul, first of all, says, I'm sending back Epaphroditus, my brother. What Paul is saying is I have seen evidence in Epaphroditus' life that he is a child of God. I have seen evidence in his life that he is a servant, a follower of the same Jesus that I follow. Now, I don't think there's anybody uh, who would read the New Testament and question whether or not Paul was a servant of God. I don't believe anybody would question Paul's relationship with God. And so when Paul says, he is my brother, that is an extremely high honor. That is an extremely high recognition. When Paul says of him, he is my brother. He's saying that in, 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 in Epaphroditus' life, I have watched him. And I have watched how he treats people. I have watched how he lives. I have listened to how he speaks. I have watched his actions. I have seen his heart. We see his heart in that fellow messenger and servant. He says, I have seen all those things in him, and I am confident in labeling him my brother in Jesus Christ. I am confident in naming him and claiming him as a brother uh, in, in God, a brother in the family uh, of God. There is no question here about this man being born again. He and I both have been reborn into the same family. We both now have the same spiritual father. It was evident to those around Epaphroditus who his father was. Now, there are some people in this world who, when you see them, it's, it's automatic. You know whose father they are, you know, or whose son they are. You see the family relationship. Yeah, it, it's kind of funny. I, I, I look out and I, I'm reminded that there's a picture, and I don't know where it is. I, I, uh, I saw it a while back, and I don't remember who had it. But there is a picture of that Tommy Anderson walking through the church, standing in the church. And I don't know how many years ago it was, but he had hair. Okay? 
Um, and when I first saw the picture and I looked at it, I didn't realize it was that Tommy Anderson. I thought it was that Tommy Anderson. Now, neither one of them have hair, so they're back to matching. Yeah, but uh, there's, there's times when you see that family, family uh, characteristics, and you know, you know I, I remember the time I, I walked in a house one night visiting, and, and there was a girl there who said, do you have a son at the Hills? Maybe. You know, you know, I don't know. <laughs> what what do you do? Yeah, and, and, and you know, she says he was in my class today. Yeah. She didn't know either one of us, but she had figured out who we were. By listen, what I want to have, what if you want to be the kind of servant that Paul brags on? He says, you know what? You will have the kind of life that you will live. You will have the kind of actions. You will have the kind of attitudes. That people know who your father is. They will know whose family you're in. He is my brother. Not just my brother, but he says my fellow worker. Now, I'll be honest with you. Probably for, for me as pastor, and probably for Paul as well. This one kind of is the one that really kind of divides things up. You know, I got a lot of people who tell me they're my brother in Christ. But not everybody is a fellow worker. You with me? Not everybody is putting their hand to the choir. Some of you have been there before. You know, I support you. you know, people, I got you back. You know what they mean when they got you back, don't you? Way back. Yeah. Paul, Paul says, listen, Epaphroditus didn't mind getting his hands dirty for the kingdom of God. Epaphroditus and I are working for the same purpose. We're both trying to advance the kingdom of God. We have a common goal. We have a common desire. Well, again, I don't think you'd have to be a, a, a New Testament scholar to know what Paul's desire was. Paul's desire was that everybody he met, no, not just everybody he met, <laughs> people he didn't meet. Paul's desire was that everybody come to know Jesus Christ, whether he'd met them or not. Because he would start a church and leave, and he wanted a church to lead everybody in town to Jesus. Paul had Paul had one purpose. That was bringing people to Jesus, glorifying the Father. That was his purpose. You know, it wasn't building the name of Paul. It wasn't any of the, you know, it wasn't getting rich. It wasn't being famous. It was building the kingdom. Building the kingdom. I don't think anybody who reads the New Testament would argue that point. Well, Paul says of Epaphroditus, he's my fellow worker. What does that tell you? It tells you that Epaphroditus had the same goal as Paul. Can I tell you today that a lot of people who say they're a son of God, child of God, who claim to be our brother or sister in Christ, 
They don't have the same goal. It's all about them. It's they want to be, they want their name to be recognized. They want they, they want to be lifted up. They want the glory. They want the fame. They want the fortune. Paul didn't care if you knew his name. In fact, Epaphroditus, we barely do know his name. And we can't pronounce it what we when we do know it. But he is a man who shared the same goal as Paul. I want to have that same goal. Do you? I want to have that same goal. My fellow worker. My fellow soldier. Paul says, you know what? Epaphroditus wasn't just willing to work for the kingdom. He was willing to fight for the kingdom. He was willing to battle for the kingdom. He was willing to go uh, to, to the ends. Here's a man, Paul says, he almost died to come help me. This is a man who is willing to put it all on the line for the kingdom of God. The reality is that, that in the church world today, in 2021, much of what is ailing the church of Jesus Christ is we are not willing to, to sacrifice for the kingdom. The church, or not the church, but, but God Himself isn't our priority. I can prove it to you by taking you to the, the gymnastic studio on Sundays, the ball fields on Sundays, the racetracks on Sundays, the ball stadium on Sundays, all those kind of things. Paul says this man was a fellow worker and a fellow soldier. He was willing to fight for the kingdom. I want to tell you, if Jesus doesn't soon come, we're going to need some people who are willing to be soldiers for the kingdom. We're going to need some people who are willing to be soldiers for the kingdom. Jimmy, what do you mean by that? Just what it sounds like I mean. I mean, we're going to have to be willing to fight for the faith. We're going to have to be willing to risk it all for Jesus Christ. If, if Jesus doesn't soon come, that's where we're headed. If you don't see that in the news, if you don't see that in the laws that are being passed, if you don't see that in our culture, you're not looking at the same culture I am. Paul says he was a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, your messenger. You see here what he says. He says he's your messenger. The word messenger is the same word where we get the word apostle from. An apostle. It means again an ambassador sent on a special mission. Do you understand today that the Bible says that you and I are to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ? We are sent on a special mission. See, I'm just silly enough to believe that God puts you in the job you have, in the home you have, with the friends you have, 
with the family you have so that you can reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have neighbors that I don't have. You have friends that I don't have. You have family that I don't have. You have co-workers that I don't have. You have that Archie doesn't have. Greg doesn't have. You have contacts. Your circle of influence is different than mine. Your circle of influence, in fact, is different than anybody else in the world. Nobody has the exact same circle of influence you have. I want to be a messenger. I want to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. When I was in the bread business, we used to have what we call contact me. And their job was, we had, we had one for like uh, food line the time when Dixie, when it was in town. And their job was to go and to make nice with the big shots of these companies and you know, get us better space, more space, you know, whatever. Well, I'm not gonna say which company. But one of our contact men, we were pretty prone to remind him, you don't, well, I'm, I'm I, it rhymed with shin mixing. How's that? Uh, yeah, I, you know, you don't work for them. You work for Maria. Your interests are the bakery's interests. Not theirs. You are our representative. You're there to further our purpose. To help us sell more stuff. That's your job. Your job is not to help them sell more stuff. Your job is to help us sell more stuff. You are, in effect, our ambassador. Right? I don't know if any of you can relate to that illustration or not. We are, that is our job here on earth. That's why Paul was so pleased with Epaphroditus. He was working for the master. His job as a messenger wasn't his message. It was someone else's message. To be that kind of servant that Paul honors, we have to remember whose message it is we're carrying. What our message is to be. And then finally, he says, a minister to my need. A minister to my need. Paul gives us the fifth characteristic here of this man. He is a minister. Barclay in his commentary points out how much this statement would have meant in the church of Asia in that time. <clears throat> the word, <clears throat> excuse me, the word that is translated as messenger there um, was um, a word that they only used, it was used very sparingly. You didn't just call everybody a messenger. 
It was a word that they reserved for uh, special people. In, in our world, it would be, for example, somebody who, you know, and I just noticed this the other day, uh, up at the hospital, they used to have that wall of all the people who gave money. Uh, evidently, their gift has run out because they took that wall down. Um, you know, but, but, but the big benefactors, the people that gave a lot of money, the people who were really important to the organization, they would be called a messenger. Paul says this man, he is important. He has done a lot to support the, the, the organization. He's been a great worker in the organization. And I call him a messenger. Listen, he says he's not concerned about his, uh, his, uh, his own name, his own fortune. But he's concerned about... The organization. What organization? The kingdom of God. And Paul says, because of that, I want to honor him. Notice his distress. In the next verse, in verse 26, he says, For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He is distressed. He's been sick. But he's been distressed because you heard that he was evil. Epaphroditus was not distressed because he was sick. He was distressed because someone else was worried about him. That tells you about everything you need to know about this man, Epaphroditus, quite honestly. That he wasn't concerned. Listen, Paul says he almost died he was so sick. He almost died he was so sick. But he's not worried about himself. He's worried about you worrying about him. He is distressed over you being concerned. What does that tell you about where his heart was? Why, do you, why are you beginning to see why Paul said, listen, when Epaphroditus comes back to town, you throw him a parade. When Epaphroditus comes back to town, you put him up on top of a convertible and ride him through town doing like this right here. Yeah, you honor that man because he is special. He is a special man. He is concerned about you being concerned about him, his dedication. Look at verse 26, he goes on. He says, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. He says, listen, here's what I want you to know about this man. And this is, again, part of the reason Paul wrote this little letter, this little piece of this letter. He says, I want you to know something. I better not hear any of you call Epaphroditus a quitter. That man about died. He did not give up. That man, that man would not quit. 
I had to send him back to Philippi. Any of you ever seen, and I, I, I'm not going to get it exactly right. As I've seen it several different ways. A little cartoon on the internet goes around and it talks about a man with a cold and a woman with a cold. Yeah. And the man and the woman with the colds up vacuuming, washing dishes, tending the kids, you know, doing all this. And, and the man's in bed with a thermometer and a bottle of NyQuil or whatever, you know. Listen, Epaphroditus wasn't that man. Epaphroditus was a man who was committed. He says, I, I'm going to continue to serve God. I, I, I'm going to continue to go on. I'm not going to forsake the church. I'm not going to forsake the mission they sent me on. I'm going to continue even if it kills me. Now, do you know why Paul said you honor that man when he comes home? You recognize that man when he comes home? He says, you give that man honor. You honor him when he comes home. Which leads us then, finally, to his demeanor. Look what it says in this last verse, last verses. He says, I'm the more eager to send him, that you might rejoice at seeing him, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and look at that last line. That last line is what I want you to see. And honor such men. And honor such men. That phrase makes it really clear. Honor this kind of man. Honor Epaphroditus. He's a rare bird. Honor such men. Paul says there's not many like Epaphroditus. There's not many who are my brother, my fellow soldier, my fellow worker, a messenger, ministering to others' needs. There's not many who will work till they almost die for Jesus Christ. There's not many who put the kingdom of God above everything else in their life. When you find one, you honor Him. You recognize Him as being special. You recognize Him as being different. You recognize Him as being unique. You recognize Him as being a gift of God. Are you beginning to understand why Paul said you honor this man? A man that in all honesty, we barely, I mean, honestly, outside of these five verses and one more mention, I, I believe it's in chapter four of this same book. And, and even at that, and at that point, we basically, we, we see his name. We see that, that he just, his name is just mentioned. Paul says he's special. You honor that man. You see why? Now here's the real challenge, the real question, the real fork in the road is how much like this man Epaphroditus can we say we are? When you take those characteristics, when you read 
about this this man. And again, uh, we don't. He's not like Paul. I mean, we pretty much know everything about Paul. He's not Matthew. He's not John. He's a man who we we, we don't even know his parents. We, we don't. We, we, again, we can barely say his name. But he's a man who Paul said he's special. He's special. You honor this man. You recognize this man. You risk this. You, you, you love this man. You care for this man. When it says there he risked his life, the word risk, Robertson points out that's a gambling word. He gambled his life for Jesus. He says, I'm willing to lay it all on the line. I'm willing to go all in. I'm willing to wager everything to be a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm willing to put it every bit on the line. The question this morning that has to come out of that text, that has to come out of this story, that has to come out of this man's life, is will you? I want you to think this morning as we finish up this question. We know that when Paul got ready to send Epaphroditus home, how he wrote, what he wrote, the praise and the accolades that he hung on this man Epaphroditus. Let me ask you this question. Nobody answered but you and the Lord. If Paul was sending you somewhere, if Paul was sending you on a mission, if Paul was sending you back home, what would your letter look like? If Paul was describing your service to the Lord, if Paul was describing your walk with God, if Paul was describing your commitment to the Lord, how, what would he write in your letter? We know what he said about Epaphroditus. What a man. What a man. What a servant of God. You know, we talk often about, can't wait to get to heaven. I want to see Timothy, and I want to see Mark, and I, you know, I personally, I, I'm good with seeing him, but I want to shake Epaphroditus' hand too. And tell me, fill in the blanks. I know, I know what Paul said about you in a handful of verses. Tell me, as Paul Harvey called it, the rest of the story. Tell me what happened when he got back to Philippi. What would your letter look like if Paul was writing you a letter of recommendation? What would it look like? I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning. What would your letter of recommendation look like?
it sound like? What would Paul say about you? More important, if God was writing you a letter of recommendation, what would it say? Lord, I want to be a man like Epaphroditus. I want to be a man. I want to be a woman that is worthy of honor in your kingdom. You're a child of God today. You're here. You know Jesus Christ personally. Would you come kneel, kneel where you are, and say, Lord, make me that kind of man. Make me that kind of woman. More importantly, you get a you don't know Christ person. You've never asked him into your heart. You've never been saved. Would you come this morning? You're online? Would you email, call, contact us somehow? Love to share the gospel with you. They had you to be saved. You're here this morning, you don't know Christ. I didn't say you were the church member, I didn't say you didn't have an office in the church. You don't know Jesus, would you come? Father, we thank you this morning for your word. God, we thank you for men like the pastor does. God, we see men like Paul, and many times we say, well, I couldn't be a Paul. Look at Paul. Paul, great man. Look at all Paul did. But then you slip down the path of right or something. A man who we don't know, a man who's just a regular everyday Jew. He commits himself to serve you. God, help us to be like the pastor does. Help us to be that kind of man. A messenger, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, a brother. Help us to be that kind of brother. 